Welcome to the Laity Podcast, a space for meaningful conversations about Christian spirituality, discovery, and practice. Thanks for joining in. We had a lot of crossover. We had some differences. I think we have more crossover than differences. I find that with everyone I talk to. I find that with people who believe in Sikhism. I find that with people who believe in, uh, who are Mennonite. I find that with people who are Hindu. Not to be too kumbaya about it, but like we believers and we religious folk and we faithful and we, we us doubters, we actually have a lot of the same DNA. And it's really exciting when we, we see that connection. Hey friends. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. We are very excited to introduce you to our latest guest, Mr. Lee Hale, who is a reporter based in Salt Lake City and ultimately the host of a new podcast produced by QUER and PRX, both NPR affiliates. His show is called Preach, Exploring the Messiness of faith. I think you guys are really going to enjoy the conversation. We spend most of the dialogue going back and forth about our individual stories, and uh, we're going to hear much more about Lee's background actually coming up in the Mormon church, his experience as a missionary, and sort of sorting through quite a bit of deconstruction, uh, doubt and uncertainty in the midst of that, which I think you'll enjoy. But I do want to highlight his podcast while we have a moment. Again, check out Preach on all of your podcast platforms. He's interviewed Rain Wilson, um, the founders and creators of VeggieTales, a Jewish sex therapist, um, former cult members. I I think you'll find his podcast compelling and certainly worth the listen. Enjoy this conversation. Hope you enjoy getting to know Lee a little bit as we did. Lee Hale, thanks so much for coming on. Uh, thanks for coming on the Laity Podcast. Great to have you. How are things in? Uh, Happy to be here. How are things in Salt Lake today? What is it this time of year? Is it like do you have snowstorms yet, or what's going on? There's a little bit of snow in the mountains. Have you been in Salt Lake before? I've passed through um, once for um, two days. I flew. I over think the one thing time. that's most okay is you've flown over. The most stark thing I think when I, when visitors come here for the first time is that the mountains are like right there, like right up against the city. Mm-hmm. And um, they're giant, and right now they're snow-capped, and it's pretty gorgeous, actually, which makes the 40 degrees more tolerable because it's a little disappointing to be having 40-degree weather in October. But, wow. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's it's crisp day, and uh, I kind of I, I sometimes I feel like I have a love-hate relationship with this place, but um, I do love it on days like today. How long have you been there? So I've been here kind of off and on for a while. I, I grew up in L.A., but I went to college at BYU, the Mormon college, and then I taught junior high in Salt Lake for a minute. I lived in D.C. for a year, and I've been back for three years now. That's a complicated answer. So off and on ever since I was uh, uh, basically 21, yeah. And did you—so the impetus for coming back to Salt Lake was was your reporting on, on the church yeah. then? Yeah, so I got, I got really lucky. I got a fellowship at NPR in D.C., and I spent a year basically learning how to be a reporter. I'd never been— a journalist before, and they were, it was an awesome place to learn on the job. And at the end of the fellowship, you kind of have an option of whether you're going to like stay and be a producer for one of the big news shows, or if you have an ego like me, you have to go and like make it as a reporter in a smaller station because that's where they'll let you report. Um, at, at NPR DC, you kind of have to earn that right with some mm. with some experience. And so I thought, well, what? What can I talk about? What can I? What, what stories can I report where I know a little something? I have something to bring to the table. And so I came here for an interview, and I said, 
um, if you let me cover the Mormon Church, my church, I'm I'm all I'm I'm in. Like I really want to learn how to be a religion reporter, and I can't think of a better way than covering a church that I know so well. And um, I joke sometimes that that's like a that's a fateful decision, but I, ne- I never regret it. Um, I think I knew what I was getting myself into for the most part, and um, I've kind of my faith has evolved directly because of that decision. Yeah. No, absolutely. Well, for those who don't know, Lee is a the host. He's a reporter, obviously, and we'll get more into that, but also the host of um, a podcast called Preach, which I think is fantastic. Stephen, you turned me on to this, uh, uh, I guess, a bunch of weeks back now. How did you first connect, Stephen, with, with Preach? Uh, I heard about it from an ad on Snap Judgment. It's another oh, cool. NPR show. Those ads are working. Oh, nice. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I I've loved Lee. I've loved the podcast thus far. Thanks. Well, for, I'm glad to hear. Thanks so much for. Wait, I'm go curious, ahead. really quick, before we we go on. When you heard the name Preach for the first time, what did you guys think? I'm always curious about like because we kind of made a call with that name, kind of a counterintuitive thing. But I'm wondering what you thought when you heard that name. I liked. Well, I, I heard it in the context. Like I heard the pitch for the podcast with the name of the show. Sure. Right. Um, so you know the, the idea of how how it's it's become more of a. Uh, I, don't, I guess a way of sort of encouraging people to tell their story. So it, right. it, it made sense. Okay. Yeah. Sometimes I wonder. It's just like it's kind of a it's kind of a weighty word that we use the title, and, it, and internally you can never know what it sounds like outside. But um, that's exactly what we intended for that preach. Instead of we got something to say, it's more you've got something to say. So that's cool. Yeah. So so talk to us about the sort of beginning uh, the the groundwork for this podcast, which has only you know has been out. I guess it's been this year, right? You started it earlier in 2019. Yeah, we started last month. Oh, last month. So, I mean, okay. I didn't realize Yeah, I that. guess we're seven weeks into this. It's a, it's a, it's a new project. Um, so, like I said, I, I came here to be a religion reporter, came here to Salt Lake City. And um, the thing about religion reporting is uh, most of the time you are covering controversy and you are talking to clergy. And um, both of those are like my least favorite thing about religion. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Like controversy is important to know about, but it's painful to dwell on. And clergy are the least interesting people because they talk about this all day, every day. And I found that, you know, in my reporting, the voices I really got excited about were the people who weren't talking about faith very often, but they were thinking about it a whole lot. Like the the lay people, as you would, you know, the laity. Mm-hmm. So um, so I thought, you know, is there a is there a better platform where I don't have this expectation of making news or or, or covering the news? But we can talk about religion in a way that I think is the most enjoyable. I kind of wanted to expose people or, or show people what it was like for me to report a story. Because when you report a story, you get to know people. You go into their homes. They kind of share these really intimate stories with you. And then you have to cut it up for time in public radio and do like a four-minute story. But I was like, well, I want, I want, I want you to hear what it's like to get to know someone. Wow. And so um, so we were, we were batting around these ideas. And it was just at a time when I was ready for something new. And thankfully... I applied to and got a grant from PRX, uh, actually a Boston-based public radio network, and they're our, our partner in this. And what PRX was looking to do was to um, help stations that aren't on the coasts make national products because the coasts kind of dominate um, kind of the national media, right? Mm-hmm. And so we said, well, we can do a national religion show because people talk about religion in Salt Lake City, and we, we, we're not afraid of it. And... Um, and they put us through this whole training in Boston. We went out there every month for a while. And then we kind of came out of it with a name and a concept and a mission statement and ready to roll. So it was a really awesome experience. And they've been really cool partners. So it's a KWR and PRX product. That's what Preach is. 
and um, and then we I've just kind of been learning on the job. The, 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 we just we we scheduled a bunch of interviews. Um, I have an awesome editor, Trisha, and she just like got me interviewing right away. And I don't know if I knew what I was doing, but I just like was I just thought you know if I'm gonna be kind of my rule of thumb was like I'm gonna ask the blunt questions that you don't usually ask, especially right. public radio. Like, I'm just going to ask people if they believe in God. I'm going to ask if they pray. I'm going to ask, like, you know, what it feels like when they feel like they have a spiritual prompting or whatever. Mm. And then um, I'm also going to make sure they feel safe, that I'm not making it like a, uh, I'm not grilling them, but I just genuinely want to know. And part of that is I also share my story, too. Right. So it's um, part of born out of this idea of I want people to hear what, what believers actually sound like what doubters sound like and kind of get inside somebody's head. So I hope that's what you guys have been hearing as you've heard the it's, show. It's a yeah. really cool project. Uh, um, I'm, and I'm, I'm excited to be able to share it with folks here so early on. That's a, a cool project. Yeah, well, I'm really, really grateful for the help because, yeah, we're, 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 we are a new podcast and we've had some great feedback, but um, I hope that... I hope there's an audience for it, and we just need to find the people who are craving something like this. Well, one of the things I think is attractive about it and just, you know, makes it listenable and, you know, it makes you excited to kind of take on another one beyond just the the guests is the fact that you are clearly on this. We all are on a journey, right? But it's much easier to sort of document how things are going after you know, at the mountaintop or after, you know, after pa- passing through the challenge and kind of describing an experience in the rear view. Um, and to an extent, of course, we all very much are still on a journey, but it sounds like you've been sort of in the throes of your own sort of, I, I don't want to give you a label, but sort of ch- challenges, maybe some deconstruction, yeah. some sort of unraveling that, and, and you're not only talking about it, but kind of opening that up to not only feedback, but then camaraderie with and connection with your guests, which I think is just very, it's super authentic. I mean, what's that experience been even in these seven, eight weeks of doing it and kind of being able to sort of put something, put, putting some of that out there on the airwaves, but then also to, to your guests, how, how's that been for you? Yeah. So, so I say it's a, it's a, our tagline is it's a show about the messiness of faith. And mm. I try to lead by example, by proving that it is messy for me because it really is. Um, I consider myself a religious person, a spiritual person, I, both of those things, but I'm not currently a church attender. But I don't ever want somebody to think that when I say that, like, I, I, I'm, not, I'm scared to walk into a church building. Like, I'll go in if, you, if that makes sense. Like, I, um, yeah, I guess the, the, the bigger thought for me in deciding to do this, because we would, we would kind of like shark tank this idea when we would do these Boston trips with PRX. And every time I, sh- I trusted the group that we were pitching the idea to with a little bit more of my backstory, they just seemed a lot more invested and a lot more interested. Hmm. And I kind of made the decision early on. I thought, well, I want to have this kind of rule of thumb that I'm, I'm not going to ask a question of a guest. I'm not willing to answer myself, which is really different for, I mean, journalists don't typically do that, huh. right? Like journalism is you know, about ob- objectivity and about kind of removing yourself and making the, the interview E or the guest, the focus. And I'm still, I still try to be as objective as possible but I like to tell my listeners where I'm coming from so they can see the bias I bring because everyone's biased. Nobody is perfectly objective. And then it's almost like me being transparent is me being as objective as I can be, if that makes sense. Like I'm just trying to put it all on the table. And then people can draw the conclusions they want. And um, and so as far as where I'm at with my faith, um, yeah, the truth is like covering your church sucks. Like it's a really painful thing. Yeah. Like – 
there institutionally, um, the Mormon church has a lot of things that um, are hard for me and culturally too, but mostly institutionally. Mm. With a church, there's an expectation, at least with the Mormon church, I think other churches are similar, that you adopt a whole set of values that are so far Mm. reaching. And there isn't a ton of of growth um, room in a lot of ways, right? So it might be like the way that my heart breaks for LGBT worshipers. Well, the church has a stance, and it's kind of like you got to either get in line or feel out of place. And a lot of it, too, was honestly just personal shame. And this didn't have that much to do with covering the church. I've just for a long time felt like I wasn't a very good Mormon. I felt like I was, I was falling short of my potential. I've often felt like, you know, if I'm not living my best life, then why would a Mormon girl ever marry me? And of course, I want to marry a Mormon girl. And, you know, I, I, I can't p- point to a specific point in my life when I started to, to, to evolve. It was kind of a, a steady process. But it was me kind of having friction with this institution where my values seemed to be, you know, and not, I mean, in conflict more and more. And then secondly, I didn't, I stopped, I, I didn't want to keep feeling this guilt and shame. I wanted to feel whole. And, um, and so for me, that meant taking a step back a little bit from this community, um, in some ways. I mean, my life is immersed in Mormonism. I live in Salt Lake City. I do a show about religion. So it's like, I'm, I'm talking about my faith all the time. Right. But just being at church, and I don't know if you guys have had the experience, I'm, I'm sure you have, but there's something about church where it's kind of like this nod effect, I call it, where you kind of want to mm-hmm. nod along yeah. in agreement. Mm-hmm. And if you, if you're not nodding, it's hard to be there. Yeah. It's hard to be there because at least in my community, there isn't a ton of space for non-nodders. And um, there is space for them, and you can find different congregations that that'll make for more room. But it was, just, it was just physically painful almost to be at church and just to feel like this this friction. Mm. And so I gave myself permission to get a little distance between me and, and worship. And if, you know, the, the me 10 years ago when I was a more missionary knew that, he'd be heartbroken. But I think it's the kindest thing I've done for myself in a long time, and I feel really good about it. Hmm. Man, I love... That was a long answer. No, it's good. Thank <laughs> you for sharing that. Stephen, I want to see if you're up. I, I kind of want to go back in time. I have a lot of other questions about kind of where you're at right now. I wonder if it would be helpful to give a little bit of context um, and maybe talk through some of your your earlier history, kind of coming up in the church and yeah. you know some of that. Stephen, do you think that makes sense, or do you have any questions before we do that? No, yeah, I think that's uh, that's where I was wanting to go. Okay, great. Lee, give us some give us some context. So, congratulations! You're the first Mormon um, individual on on our podcast. Um, I'm honored. So you 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 win. We'll send you the gift basket. <laughs> um, but so many will have some sort of experience, right, with with Mormon missionaries, with folks in the church, right, um, with LDS, a musical, a musical, exactly. So maybe help us sort of d- dive right in, you know, maybe just kind of how you came up and would love to hear about your missionary trip and whatever you feel comfortable sure. sharing to give us some background. Yeah. And the, um, the disclaimer it might go without saying is that actually I used to be a special ed teacher and we I heard this thing about kids with autism where they said, if you've met a kid with autism, you've met a kid with mm. autism. Like, don't assume that other kids are going to operate the same way. Yeah. And like when I say, if you met a Mormon, then you've met a Mormon. Like I'm, I can't, I can't pretend that I am, uh, any sense of normal for this, this culture I represent. I think that a lot of what I share will be felt by other Mormons, but I just got to put that disclaimer out there. I'm just a Mormon. I'm not the Mormon. Right. Um, so 
I I say that, and I'm going to say the most Mormon thing ever. I grew up in a family of nine kids. Nice. We had a giant Ford club wagon, oh, yeah. you know, the one those big blue vans, and yeah. um, 15 seater, I think. And so the E350. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, and we grew up in this this cool small one story house in Orange County, California, where we were just climbing all over each other all the time. There was just no space ever, but it was hectic and fun, and we had a pool, so I can't complain. But I was raised in a cool house because my dad was raised in the church. My mom actually converted to the church when she was a teenager. And so I think she always raised us to to be willing to question things. She was very faithful, mm-hmm. but she wasn't afraid of questions, if that makes sense. And so maybe at church at times I got this feeling that you should just kind of accept Mormon theology, Mormon doctrine. Um, but at home I always felt like you could kind of you could kind of wrestle with it a little bit. There was some some time to you could, you could process and ask questions and I would talk things over with my mom, and she would hear me out, which was really helpful. Um, and a few, I guess, a few key things about growing up Mormon. Um, yeah, I, don't, I, I guess it's, it's hard for me to, to think about what people might not know. Um, what are the What are the things that you guys think Mormons believe? I'm curious. I, no. Oh gosh, not to no, give you a quiz. I'm just honestly, truthfully, the only real experience that I have, uh, like with flesh and blood kind of interactions, is is is, is with. Um, missionaries, you know, like riding around on their bikes in town. Um, we've, you know, we've had some of them over for yep. dinner and things. If it's like super cold and we'll, we'll talk and they'll want to ask questions about the Book of Mormon and they, I usually get whatever literature. Oh, they you're have. nice. You're nice. You're a nice um, guy. You're, you're one of the nice ones. Yeah. I got, I got a free Book oh, of love, Mormon. So they love passing cool. those out. Yeah. They'll hand them out, dude. Yeah. They, yeah. You added to the short yeah, list immediately. <laughs> um, well, well, maybe I'll go back into my missionary brain for just a second yeah, and give it. you guys like the, like the two-minute history of Mormonism. Um, back in the day, Joseph Smith, it was a time of uh, a lot of religious curiosity in America. Um, and he, in the 1800s, he um, was confused about which church had the truth. He wanted to know which church, and every church said, we have the truth. And he goes and prays to God in a forest to find out what the truth is. And God appears to him and says, nobody has the full truth. I'm going to restore the truth through you. So basically the idea, the Mormon belief is that that Christ's church, the way he established it, had been muddled and lost over time. And that through Joseph Smith, through him, the prophet, they were going to bring back Christ's true church. So... That's the big focus in Mormonism. Andrew, is any of this eerily familiar? I was just going to say, is this, I just am curious if this is any different than any other religion ever. <laughs> right, I know. It's like... I mean, is this different than any... Uh, yeah, but yes, Stephen, it does. It was... Um, I, that, that, we, we have sort of a similar, you know, story. I remember wait, really tell, me, tell me briefly what, how, what the connect, how this connects to the... It's the International, International Churches of Christ, is that right? Yeah. Yeah, we had... Um, yes. I, I remember having like a little... There was a little booklet... That I that it was like a like a little manual. It had like devotionals and stuff in there, and but there was one little section, just a few pages, and it had like church history in it, and it and it read very similar to what you just described. It was like there was there you know there was there was the, the things that happened in the Hebrew scriptures, and there was the church, Jesus, church. Uh, things were great for a very little while, then there's about you know fifteen hundred years of just total darkness and depravity. We call it apostasy, yeah. the great apostasy, yeah, uh-huh. the darkness. And then, so yeah. our, and then, so our, and our movement. Frankly, we we come out of uh, what's called, sort of called the Restoration Movement, which was, mm-hmm. uh, as I you now forgive my also eighteen hundreds, yeah, yeah, mid eighteen yeah, hundreds exactly. or so. So the idea was we're kind of restoring New Testament Christianity. Um, totally, so, exactly. Yeah, that's exactly it. 
what what Mormonism brought to the table that was a little different is a uh, new book of scripture, which I think a lot of Christians find very controversial. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Book of Mormon was given to Joseph Smith through gold on gold plates, and he translated it through the power of God, and that was a, a new another testament of Jesus Christ. There was the New Testament, and there's another testament. And so, growing up Mormon, um, you feel special because you have more scriptures than everybody else, <laughs> right? Um, more to read, right? Who doesn't want more yeah, scriptures? Exactly. And um, <laughs> so, yeah. So there's a big focus on. I mean, the, the cool thing about that, I'll say, is I always loved how I grew up in a faith. Um, that said that you can go to God yourself. Hmm. and Because that was the very first teaching right. of the church, was Joseph Smith asking his question to God, not asking men. Um, that can get muddled sometimes culturally when people just kind of want you to go along to get along. But I always thought, hung on, I clung to that, that, that Mormons believe strongly that you can pray to God yourself and that through God's spirit, he can speak to you directly. Um, and so that was a big tenet growing up. There's the other stuff. I'm sure maybe you guys have similar experiences. You know, we weren't supposed to drink ever. Um, no sex before marriage. Um, no cursing. You know, like so you basically were supposed yeah. to be, stand out as a really clean living person. And the the negative side of that is that you start judging other people for not living that way, right? And there can be kind of this like policing that happens in a congregation of, well, so and so's kid isn't doing this and yeah. that and that. Um, and then of course a big focus on on proselytizing. So it's kind of expected of Mormon men in particular that when you turn 19, well, it was 19 when I was 19, but now it's 18, um, you sign up for two years, which is, I can't believe I did it for two whole years. Two years, full-time, proselytizing, um, and you don't choose where you go. And whenever somebody finds out go on a mission, they get really excited and they say, where did you go? And I think they want me to say South Africa right. or Chile, right. and I say Minnesota. And so they're like, oh, okay, okay yeah. Minnesota. <laughs> For two years, you're on the same um, mission spot for two years. Two years. So wow. every mission has its own little um, structure, and there's a person in charge called the mission president, and they will move you around within the mission boundaries. So you'll typically stay in a city for like one and a half to like four or five months. And um, the ones you, the, city, the cities you hate the one, are the ones you stay in the longest, of course. Oh. Right. And, and you don't have any choice about this. Like You really just kind of like surrender to this, this system. And um, I don't regret going at all. It was actually an amazing experience for so many for so many reasons. I um, well, I'm, I was a pretty shy dude, and I'm still I still don't love rock, walking up to people in the street. But I did that every day for two years, and after a while, you just kind of find bravery somewhere, yeah. right? Yes. And as a you know selfish nineteen uh, year old kid, completely self absorbed, it was pretty profound to spend every day with other people and. Yes, we were there to teach, but I got so drawn into people's stories. Um, people were lonely. They were confused. They were heartbroken. And a lot of people avoid the missionaries. They didn't want to see us. They, we, we, just, we were a conversation they didn't want to have that day. But for a lot of people who didn't have a good outlet, we were kind of the, the best they had. And so we would, you know, sometimes we let into a house and someone would unload their life story. And I was wow. there for it, you know? Like, mm. some missionaries got a little impatient because they thought, like, we're here to preach. Right. And I right. thought, like, no, this is, like, this is this is the service I'm interested in doing, which is just sitting in somebody's house and just, it felt like sacred space when somebody trusted you with their story. And so, you know, it was, it was, it was an exciting, confusing, um, scary, but also, like, really enriching time in my life where I just met so many people that I would never have met otherwise. Um, we mm. spent time with a lot of refugees. We spent time with... 
a lot of um, people living in poverty because, I mean, to put it bluntly, they were home during the work day. A lot of people who are living on welfare or not in a great circumstance in life. And so I got to get outside of my, my Orange County bubble and realize that I was very privileged and that you cannot judge a book by a cover. There's a lot of people who amazed me with what they had to offer, and I would have written mm. them off. Man, there is something I will say. I mean, if if we required like every... I'm just thinking about the 18-year-old guys I know now. I'm like, yeah, send them on a missionary trip. Yeah, <laughs> you know, no, it's, totally. It's like, a rite of passage thing. I mean, it, it really like, is. And I'm there is something. I'm going to ask you a couple of specific questions, but yeah, evangel putting yourself out there, being vulnerable, and doing the uncomfortable for those who have already been triggered by like us. We're gonna. I'm sure there are folks listening that are going to be. I don't want anyone to think we're just like all negative on the past, right? I we we had a movement. I guess, and I guess have a movement that had just very, very, very strong um, evangelistic culture. And when you we, say movement, are you talking about a, a sect within? No, a, so I'm talking about our, in our specific tribe. So in the International Churches of Christ, which is very much sort of a sub sect or a sub movement of the broader Churches of Christ movement, which is a set of the broader Restoration movement that we referred gotcha. to earlier. So, and we can give you some more background, but really started in the, in the, really started in the early seventies, but kind of officially inaugurated in the, in right around 1979, 1980. So it's not that, not that old. Um, and so, but as years and iterations went by through the eighties and the nineties, it at one point was the fastest growing church in, I don't know if it's globally or the States, but it was one of the fastest growing movements in the world at the time. And the mission was now granted, it was founded on a lot of the same sort of language you're talking about of, you know, God has given us something. There's, you know, 40 of us here that have it figured out. Um, right. and by fig- they probably wouldn't have said figured out, but, you know, it's been revealed, the, though. The it's truth. Like, it's, it's been it's revealed. A, we, a gift. we are yeah. these disciples living, you know, it's like first century church and then us. And so it's our duty and call and mission to go and, and plant church. And so they literally went from like 40 individuals ish to tens of th- hundreds of thousands in churches all over the con- all over the world and the mission was hey we're going to in every city of 100,000 people or more we want to plant a church in our generation yeah right mm-hmm. so it was just pedal to the floor and that breeds this very specific kind of culture right good bad and ugly particularly as time goes by and you start having to kind of manage the growth but in the right. short term it's you know even for myself that was sort of second so my parents and Stevens as well my parents were converted from Catholicism in college into this movement, right? So by the time I'm mm. born, they've had a little bit of time. They were 18. So, but but still having this culture, like being pushed, like just even naturally and feeling this sort of push, whether or not you were mandated by the church to to do cold contact evangelism, very similar things. I'll tell you what, man, as much as it's uncomfortable and it's not my cup of tea, I, I also recognize that, especially for a young man, it it forces you to be out out of yourself you know and there's yeah. i think there's just a lot that's revealed and like you're talking about you didn't use this language but seeing the god in the other as well and how you you start to see that the world is much bigger than your little world were you guys like proselytizing in your your the towns you lived in yeah yeah we, we were especially like in because that 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 sounds really scary like we have the advantage of Mormon missionaries to like get sent to a different place you don't know anybody you you dress you dress differently oh yeah <laughs> because like the idea of like me any given like Saturday going and proselytizing that is terrifying like <laughs> in the same places you shop or you know it's like so yeah yeah it was mainly un- un- like 
yes, Stephen, speak to your experience too. I mean, certainly did some of that like pre-college, but mainly we're talking about college. So it's like campus ministry. Campus ministry. Which was the worst when I was, when I would go on campuses, that was mm-hmm. the worst. Cause I was like, pretty girls are going to look at me with that look of disdain. I was like, I couldn't, oh, my fragile I'm ego could not about, handle it. I'm talking about door to door inside a dormitory, like on a weekly basis. Yeah, no, that's, that's rough, man. That's rough. Hats off to you. Cause I don't, I, I, I can only, I could only stand so much of that. I wanted to be like in the suburbs talking to families, like. <laughs> Peers were the worst, worst people to talk to. For I didn't. I hate it. I really, I really didn't like it. I was. I didn't ever feel like I was great at it. I guess Lee, kind of like you. I, I did. I did. I did better on those sort of one-on-one conversations. You know, getting in conversation with folks and and creating a space to hear their story and and something really did happen there. I mean, I think I, I had a lot of conversations and connections that were, I think, genuinely meaningful, and I think that God was really involved in that. Um, you know, but. Right. Uh, uh, the, 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 some of the sales stuff, I, I, I couldn't, I, yeah, I was, I wasn't very good at it. Oh I, man. Can I tell you guys like a really quick story please. about, about yeah, this? Please. So the first, <laughs> so before you go on your mission, you go to the missionary training center. Um, there's a few of them, but the biggest one is in Provo, Utah, right next to BYU. So because I wasn't learning a language, I just went for three weeks. They, they basically just enough time for you just to really comprehend what you just got yourself into. And then they send you on another plane to a different place. And we woke up really early the day we were going to Minnesota, me and a group of like eight missionaries. And I took a bunch of Dramamine because I get, I get sick on flights. So we get to Minnesota and I'm like kind of feeling a little like Dramamine hungover. Like I'm just feeling a mm-hmm. little bit fuzzy, you know. And then we meet the mission president at the airport. He puts us in this van and he takes us directly to the University <laughs> of Minnesota campus. Like we did not have a second to unpack or anything. We go directly Ooh. to this campus and there's this... Uh, it's called a Mormon Institute building. Like this, the Mormon church has a lot of these buildings next to college campuses, like a lot of churches yep. do. And so we went in there, they gave us a pep talk. And then my mission president was like, okay, we're going to, we're going to pair up and go out and talk to people. And I was like, oh my oh, God, man. <laughs> this is like, this is like way, this is way too fast. And, um, and then my mission president was the one that got paired up with me. So I was like, at least I'll be with him. He knows what he's doing. He's a cool guy. How old is the mission president? Well, he, it, it, it varies. He was probably like. Okay. early okay. 60s late 50s um maybe late 50s he was he'd been he'd been wealthy enough to retire young yeah. if that makes sense but actually he came back and worked some more so anyways so he was this banker who was very very um excited to be a mission president and um and he was like he was a profoundly like intuitive guy like he I just remember him like walking over to somebody and them like kind of just like bearing their soul to him immediately. I was like, I don't know what's going on there. And then he went and like helped somebody fix a bike chain. And before I knew it, he was gone. I, I didn't know where he went. And so I was like all alone on this campus. And it was my very first hours of being a missionary in the field. And I see this guy unlocking his bike. And I was like, this is easy prey. He's unlocking his bike. He's not going anywhere for a second. Oh, yeah. So I walk oh, up to yeah. him and I don't remember what I said. I just must, must have mumbled a bunch of, I don't know something about Jesus and message and families. I don't know what I said. He pauses what he's doing. He slowly raises his head and he says, it's because of people like you that I don't oh, believe man. in Jesus anymore. <laughs> and I was like, I'm not very good at this. I don't think, oh my I don't gosh. know if this is going to go super well for me. And um, it was a gut punch. And I was just like, and I was just like, welcome, welcome to the next two years of your life. Mm-hmm. And, um, so it's funny as you guys are talking about that. That was like, that was probably the worst experience I had my whole mission, thankfully. But it was just so 
it was so abrupt and so right. yeah. <laughs> I mean you couldn't have written a better line, right? Oh yeah. That's um, awesome. Where were you where were you guys going to school that you would you would proselyte? I went to Georgia State University in downtown Atlanta. Uh so it's like super okay. diverse. There were there were protests uh, probably every week. We were we were we were on the regular circuit of a number of like crazy busloads of people that would come out with you know, God hates whoever flags and stuff. And then there'd be a counter protest. And then we'd have to, we'd like be this awkward Christian group in the middle. Like, well, we're not really like them, but yeah, do you want to come to church? (laughs) It's not like that. We think God likes some people. (laughs) That was a little, that was a little awkward (laughs) to handle, but yeah, Georgia state. Yeah. I was at university of Georgia and I gotta be honest. I, I, you know, I look back at my experience and I never had anyone, you know, breathing down my neck about there wasn't in any sort of high pressure, super high. I mean, certainly some cultural stuff was there. Um, but in my particular experience, it wasn't, it wasn't super, you know, high pressure into, you know, getting out and evangelizing all the time. Well, you were on the payroll though, man, you, you were, you were a full well, on I think honestly, minister. that's why oh, wow. I think, honestly, I think we, we sort of set our own culture. I think we had a particular sort of in a good way, sort of bubble within our church where, you know, there was just sort of mutual understanding. We just set a particular culture, like our movement historically always did um, what we call them Bible talks. They were sort of like, or these were converse, spontaneous conversations in the dorms that would be planned out. I mean, they weren't that spontaneous. Essentially, like an hour before a discussion, you would like blitz the dorm, you'd knock on every single door, get every person and say, hey, we're going to have this 20-minute Bible discussion you know, in an hour and, and come. And so is this kind of big pool. Would people come? Would they come? Oh, totally. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, oh, definitely. Yeah. So then folks would come out and then you would, you know, someone would plan a, and this was not like, hey, I'm going to give you some talk to make you feel like you're going to hell and then have you like pray Jesus in your heart. This was like a, you know, super high bar of like, sort of, this is, this is who Jesus is. Very, I think made it really attractive. I mean, this is what it means to follow Jesus. We're trying to take that seriously. Do you want to come and follow as well? And then es- essentially that would hopefully lead to folks getting a personal Bible studies and, um, you know, then walking their own, their own path to faith. But like for, so those were always done on campus when, well, was was the goal that, that you wanted them to convert to your denomination? So that was actually going to be my question. So I'll answer the question, but I was going to ask you sort of what the goal was slash like, what is a win? Um, because so for us, yes, I mean, we saw it, you know, it very much was, we want folks to come we want folks to come to Jesus and become disciples and followers of Christ. And in, in that step, you know, and in that process become, you know, saved, forgiven believers. Um, so yeah. it was very much, so whether you are a professing Christian or not, and this is sort of the underbelly of this, right? There was kind of an understanding that there's a high likelihood that you weren't really living this life of devotion to Jesus, um, as we were. And so, you know, it was an opportunity for you to kind of check yourself through a series of Bible studies and we would kind of educate, um, but then also, you know, adopt you into our community of faith and frankly, in hopes and ex- expectation that you would, by the end of it, you were, you know, coming to repentance and baptism and we're going to be a, a car carrying member of, uh, of the ministry. And if they were to, if they were to join your church, what, what was the, so it was the Boston movement specifically that you guys were proselyting for? Yeah. Let me give you yeah. a little bit of history. So this will be helpful. So, and it won't be long. So 
back in the day, if you were to Google like the Crossroads movement, there was a movement yeah. in the in Gainesville, Florida, like around 1969, bunch of college students within a Church of Christ. There was a individual named Chuck Lucas who was brought to University of Florida, started kind of started this campus ministry, and it was this super vibrant, very diverse. It's also 1969, right in Florida, so you have mm. super super diverse, all sort of that culture, even hippie culture, and a number of other things. And Jesus, the Jesus movement's also going on in a similar time on the West Coast. So that, that's not Church of Christ related. So very sort of similar vein of you know low structure, high growth. Tons of folks coming to Jesus, learning how to read the Bible for themselves, you know, learning what it meant to live in kind of Christian community. And so that was really a growing movement for about 10 years. And then towards the end, towards kind of the mid-70s, there were a couple individuals, namely this guy, Kit McKean, who you'll read about, who was converted into, it's important to note, converted into that movement at Crossroads mm -hmm. and then ultimately opted for any number of reasons to, he was actually, well, he was hired up to move up to Boston at a church called the Lexington Church of Christ. So what would happen was these college students would get hired into more traditional, older demographic, sort of been there, done that, sleepier in many cases, you know, and, and from their perspective, quote unquote, dead churches that would, that these like young gun college students would show up at, get hired as the campus minister. And over time, what would then occur is sort of this natural chasm of, you know, young folks that are critical of the older generation and, you know, maybe move and also honestly, super evangelistic and outgoing and wanting to grow and some maybe older folks that are a bit more, you know, call it set in their ways. We're using a lot of blanket terms here. And so Kip, as an example, in Lex at Lexington Church of Christ actually eventually ends up almost taking over that church with a number of elders there. And from that church in, in Lexington, which is outside of Boston, comes what became known as the Boston Movement. And so that's mm. essentially Kip and the number of other, another kind of legacy Church of Christ individuals, plus a few new converts that then said, hey, like, we're actually taking this seriously. We want to bring this word of, you know, Matthew 28, go out into all nations and baptize folks for forgiveness of sins, keep teach them to obey the scriptures. So we want to take this seriously in our day and our generation. And so from that, that was the beginning of what became this incredibly fast growing movement throughout the 80s that was planting churches every single year all over the country. So they would then send folks out to other college campuses, to other churches internationally. And that's what eventually, you know, got very, very large. So that's what the Boston, if you Google Boston movement, and no one really uses that language anymore, but that's sort of okay, the, so the that's, I'm old school. No, so then what would, what would the shift, just for semantic sake, then in the 90s, the group became called, so the movement, that was sort of like how they, they labeled it sort of a cult thing. And that if you find Boston movement, it's on like the cult list. But the name eventually became the kind of word, you know, named the International Churches of Christ. Um, so that's gotcha. what the group. Okay, so that's the updated name. So yeah, the, uh, yeah, International Church of Christ or ICOC. So Stephen and I were both in ICOC churches at the time we were in college. And that's the context in which we were talking about campus ministry. And, and campus-specific ministry is a big part of it, it sounds like. The fact that it happens on campus is it, kind of it crucial. It started, so. it was kind of birthed out of a campus ministry. And so it's, it, from the beginning, I think it it had with it, of course, all the great things about campus life, you know, like the high energy. Uh, life yes. is never as black and white as it is when you first start college, you know. <laughs> You're like super high energy. The world is pretty <laughs> clear. And it's just, you know, here's what we got to do. Get out there and do it. Um, and they were bringing a lot of life to the other churches. And so... 
Uh, yeah, they, yeah. it kind of, that I think it, it did become a big part of the identity as a whole. But there's not really, there, gotcha. there was never, well, there was for a while, it, it, there was a very, there, there was a, like a, a pretty well-established structure, you know, like a hierarchy going up from like local areas to regions to zones and then like more like national territories. Sectors of the world. Um well, yeah, because they went from this like organic movement that was like none of that structure to all of a sudden having hundreds of thousands, tens of thousands of members all over the over the world, and so it became much more of a sort of divide and conquer. Yeah. You know, you have to put some level of organization right. on it. But I think the other thing about college, I mean, these people are all in their like mid to late twenties. They're like leading churches, mm-hmm. right? Which wow. is like it's you're giving, you know, and they were going and doing it right. So it's like a pretty powerful. And now those folks are all like the baby boomers that are in their you know, early sixties now, and that's a different conversation, right? That are late fifties, early sixties now that are going, okay, where, where's this thing going? Um, but that's, hmm. you know, I don't want to make it too much about us here. Interesting. I was going to ask for you. So when you are on your mission, right, yeah. what is at the, what is a win at the time? Like you guys kind of kick it when you're done your day and you're going, man, this was like, are people actually converting to Mormonism? Is that the goal? Um, some people do. Yeah. I think that, this is where you're going to have a very different experience if you talk to somebody who served internationally, somebody who served in a developing country, um, as opposed to somebody who served stateside, as we would say. And um, because I have some friends who served missions where they they were welcome most places they went. They were kind of this like this fixture of the town. People liked them, and they taught a lot of people, and there were baptisms. Um, it was pretty slow going in Minnesota. Lots of Lutherans, God bless them, and... Um, a lot of religious people. And so like us coming to your door, a lot of people, you know, they had what they, they were good. They were content. Um, as much as missionaries might say sometimes that it's not all about the baptisms, there's something about the baptism picture. And it's when people are dressed in the white, white jumpsuits, they're about to get baptized. You always take the same picture. And there's something about sending that picture home. Mm. It's like, we're doing something, yeah. right? Dude, like we're, we you don't even know. Here's evidence that that we have made an impact in somebody's life. And um, I did have the opportunity to teach and baptize a few people, um, a family from Liberia, um, uh, a, a guy named Scott, who I still think about a lot. Um, not, I mean, it wasn't like an every month thing. It was maybe like an every three month thing. And, um, you know, Scott and I are, are Facebook friends. Um, some of the other people, I guess it's been 10 years now, and, and, I, and I guess I'm ashamed to admit that um, I don't keep up with a lot of them, and I'd hope they would, they would be happy to hear from me. Um, there definitely was that right after I came home, kind of checking in. Oftentimes, you'll have people who convert and really have a good connection to that missionary that was there at that time, and then once the missionary mm-hmm. leaves, it's hard for them to keep going. Um, so that was like, that, that, I mean, that was the success, but at the same time, a big part of what we did, and I think it's really important, is we would go and visit people who were, who were on the rolls. As we, you know, they had they were baptized Mormons and they weren't coming to church, and just go see what they were up to, right? Kind of like what you were saying a little bit about, like you know, people that might not be living up to their um, Christian life, like in their best potential, and, and praying with them and inviting them to come to church. But yeah, the baptisms, it was it was hard not to focus on that. Um, and I think that maybe you guys relate to this, but a lot, a lot of Mormonism, because it is so proselytizing, heavy, focused, a lot of the validation for why we believe yep. this way is because yeah. people join your church. Like that was the mark that 100%. you had something special. Yep. And so 
you being a missionary was like literally supposed to prove that point. <laughs> you know, it's like go and make us proud because we all tell people people join this church, like go show them. And um, so it was. I mean, there was a lot of times when I would be, uh, especially when I, when I was when I was um, I was living in Minneapolis, and I loved I loved living in Minneapolis and working in that city. And it was just daunting, you know, the city of, of 500,000. And I just thought, I'm mm-hmm. just like, what are, who are we? You know, who, <laughs> what are we in comparison to the city? And it was, those were the discouraging moments when you thought, I'm, we're not really not making any progress with anyone. And um, it was hard not to dwell on that. Did, did you have, mm-hmm. as you were out there, you know, doing the missionary work, were there sort of certain, I don't know, questions or just nagging, nagging doubts that you, that you just kind of prayed no one would bring up as you were? striking up all these conversations about religion? Yeah, I think for me, um, the, I, I, I was out there during Prop 8 in California. I don't know if you guys remember some of that news coverage, but um, the church got really involved with anti-LGBT marriage legislation in California. And there was stuff like that I just did not want to, I didn't want to defend the church's like legislative uh, influence in California. Like I was not interested. That's what so, seems so far from the point. Right. Mm. Um, but the church decides to be politically active like that. And so you are kind of like the church spokespeople as missionaries. So that always made me really uncomfortable. I never felt like I had a satisfying answer. I always felt really good about talking with somebody who was gay or transgender and helping them not hate me, at least at the end of the conversation, proving to them that I didn't hate them. Like that was always a success. Because I didn't, I, I, I didn't feel the judgment that I mean, maybe some people felt. And um, the church's history has some like some blemishes. I think like every church, and um, for a long time, black men couldn't be ordained priests in the church, and so that would come up sometimes. And but on, honestly, a lot of it was just, you know, I don't have to tell you guys this. A lot of Christians have a big big issues with Mormonism, like. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, Mormonism. We wouldn't have even considered um, you guys Christians, as, as I recall. No, totally, yeah. totally, right? Exactly. And I mean, the church's name is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints, and so it's like, yeah. You, so it's I think people would say like, well, you guys are claiming Jesus's name, but you're not proving it. And a big part of it was faith and works. You know, that people said that Mormons put way too much effort and too much focus on what you need to do to gain salvation. That salvation is a gift, and you basically accept it, and that's the end of it. Um, and then also the Book of Mormon, you know that that's seen as a false teaching to a lot of to most Christians, I think. And so I was used to getting that people we would use the term Bible bashing. Um, people sometimes had a, an axe to grind, and sometimes you had to be worried if somebody lets you in their house right away because you think like one of two <laughs> things happened: either the spirit spoke to them and they're willing to listen, or they're about to give us a piece of their mind. You yeah. sprung the trap, yeah, yeah, that's right. And so yeah. that would happen, and. Um, we wouldn't spend too much time in those situations, but um, it was also good for me to try to defend my faith, I think. Um, and also something, I was going to bring this up to you guys, because something would happen a lot I thought was kind of funny and a little sad, but mostly funny, is people would say, you're not saved. You know, you guys claim you're saved, you're not saved. And I'd say, I am saved. Jesus Christ is my savior. And they're like, no, you're not saved. And I'd say, what do I have to do to be saved? And they'd usually pull out a, a Bible, usually like, I don't know what kind of Bible it would be, but usually a, a, a kind of a quick, I don't even know what to call it, almost like some, like a little a prayer that you accept the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Oh, yeah. And you kind of, and I would, and I would, I would take it from them and read it to them. <laughs> like, <laughs> I will read this and I will say it happily. And then they were still like, no, 
And I was like, what do you want from me? Like, I, I told you, Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior, I'll accept him right here now, like before you. Um, and so clearly that wasn't the issue. The issue was that they thought that I brought too much of this, um, this baggage, this Mormon baggage that's, that was, uh, that was heretical. And so, um, there was a lot of funny moments like that where I thought like, you know, why can't I claim Jesus Christ as my savior the same way you do? And, um, I guess the simple answer is that they just thought I was, I, I found Christ the wrong way. Hmm. But yeah, I don't know. Did you guys ever go to like a, I know that this happens. Did you ever go to like a specifically, I would use the, the term anti-Mormon like training or info night because a lot of churches would put these on and basically, oh, another big one. I totally forgot. This is like the number one is that there's a Mormon teaching. It's not talked about very often, but that men can become gods. Right. I have heard that. And, and so that was a big Is it big and like no-no. as opposed to women or just men in general? No, men and women, but it's always like, oh, for some, we always defer to men, right? Because it's, it's America. Right. Um, it's the world, I should say. Um, and so, yeah, you can become like God. And we meant that literally. And um, that was a big issue for a lot of Christians. Um, so, so yeah, I was just curious. Like, did you guys were you guys exposed to some teachings about that? Like, kind of like this is what you look out for with Mormons. I, I recall um, it, it was never like, "Hey guys, we're going to have you know our Mormon, you know, battle plan night." So get together and and right. but it, it was usually right. in the context of there'd be like a like a workshop and there'd be a, maybe a false doctrines session, and it would be yeah, it would just be listed on on kind of the um among the other things that were being addressed. So actually like a good case study is like the Mormons for yeah, instance. Yeah, exactly. Like they, so so <laughs> here's the, this is what this is what false doctrines right. do. You when think you can be an elder when you're 18? Absolutely not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which that's all semantics. It's like we like we use the word deacons and bishops yeah. all differently. Like <laughs> right. you know it's like it's so funny. I, I, that I never remember happened. yeah. I, I, no, okay, but it, it's it's just funny cuz it's like you're you're right. It's like we we I was a deacon at 12. Like what does that mean, nice. right? If you're Anyways, I, I think a lot of it was we didn't. Um, and I, I, this is it's not fair to everybody because, of course, there was like any organization, there's that there's, there's healthier part, there's definitely a bell curve, um, and there's a lot of good things going on inside of it, even despite as things are, you know, even despite some of the some of the, the weird stuff. But I, I do remember thinking a lot of like, well, no other church is teaching what I teach. And I, I'm just, and I legitimately believe this, like I'm, I'm just reading the Bible and doing what it says. So, I mean, I'm not saying I'm, I'm the only one who's a Christian, but I've never really met mm-hmm. anybody else who teaches what I teach. So I guess I, I guess we kind of are. Um, right. Mm. So, 100%. you know, when, when I would encounter someone like you or from, from another uh, faith, my, 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 my immediate posture from another denomination, even my immediate kind of, move was like figure out the degree to which they align with the criteria in my mind of what it takes to be a genuine Christian. And then that can can, right. can give me what I need to know to decide whether I should engage evangelistically or if this is going to be fellowship. You know, like yeah, how, right. do, how do they how do you mm-hmm. call that out? Gotcha. Yeah, we never had, I don't have memories of and maybe because we just didn't have a lot of interaction, but it wasn't yeah the the, the Mormon workshop. I mean, certainly... And that's probably built up in our minds, too. Well, but you it know, also could exist, maybe in particular geographies. I mean, I you know, there was certainly much more tactically around other denominations. Yeah, I yeah, mean, definitely. The Baptists. Baptists. Yeah. 
For sure. I mean, Baptist, the sworn enemies of the Church of Christ are the, the Baptists. <laughs> hmm. um, historically, and I'm not talking for my tribe in particular. Um, Interesting. But, yeah. So that... Uh, I wish we got taught about other churches. We just didn't. Like, <laughs> I wish we had, like, a little bit of religion 101 yeah. at our missionary, missionary conferences. But we just kind of... Um, we were just kind of a little self-absorbed. We thought we had something special, and that's kind of where we left it. But And, um, yeah. Is there... Or are there... So like what so fast forwarding a little bit and then I have a question. So totally, obviously yeah. you have it sounds like you, you you don't sound like upset or bitter or you know I'm done no. with this garbage you know like but you're obviously in a very different place now. Sort of how have you maybe catch us up a little bit on the journey um and kind of how you're now thinking about not where you stand on this issue or that, but sort of your posture towards this whole thing. And then where I'm going with my next question is kind of just what feedback has been, um, you know, feedback right. in one way or, or pushback in another way, you know, from, from others as they've, as they've experienced you. People are trying to shut us down. They won't. They won't yeah. succeed. Yeah, exactly. I'm kidding. We're going to boycott this I'm podcast. Kidding. I wish we had more haters, honestly. Um, uh, Mormonism it makes this very easy to do because it is such a top-down worldwide organization and there is not a lot of leeway for any offshoots or i mean there technically are offshoots but they're very small in comparison mm. to the the church of jesus christ latter-day saints the church i belong i belong to um i had to divorce the institution from the theology i was i was burnt out institutionally can you can you unpack that distinction a little bit what do you institutionally yeah. it matters a whole lot who is leading the church the president of the church the prophet it matters a whole lot what their agenda is, what they teach. And as a good Mormon boy, I always thought, like, you're supposed to defend that person specifically and, and their, their worldview. For instance, if they say you should um, push hard against same-sex same marriage in California, then you do that because that's their, that's their leaning. That's not, that's not Mormon theology. That's, that's an mm. agenda from an institution. And they would connect it to theology, but you can disagree about theology. That's the fun thing about belief, right? You can read one scripture and take it five different ways. So um, I realized there was a lot of Mormon theology that I was I loved. There was a lot of it that was ingrained in me, and try as I might, it's going to be there my whole life. And But most importantly, there's, there's a lot of things I loved. And so I thought, you know, the thing that's getting me down is I can't, I don't want to defend this institution. I don't want to defend their stances anymore. And... Um, and this, this might be getting into the weeds a little bit, but let me just make this distinction. Mormons build temples. Yeah. And you've probably seen a Mormon temple before. There's a famous one in Salt Lake City. There's one in Atlanta, actually. Um, there's, they're all over the world. And the temple is different than church. You go to the church on Sunday. You go to temple during the week, kind of when you find time to go. And you do these kind of rituals. And it, people feel like it, they think it's a little culty. And if I didn't grow up in it, I probably would too. But I actually really enjoyed going to the temple. But to go into the temple, you have to have a temple recommend. You have to say, I'm paying a full tithing, 10% of my income to the church. I'm not drinking. Wow. I'm not having sex outside of marriage. And you have to do that accounting in front of your bishop, your local leader, your, your, your pastor. And if you don't have a temple recommend, that is a distinction. Like you don't have a temple recommend. You cannot go to the temple. Like you can't even go. You cannot go in. You cannot go in. And so, how, how do they? How do you have to bring any evidence? Like, do you bring statements? No, thank, thankfully, like, it is it is the honor system. Unless unless there's like maybe been something big and you are like beating your wife or something, and think you know, then they would want to bring you in and say like, what the hell is going on? Um, they yeah. wouldn't use that word. But um, <laughs> but for me, 
um, I hit a point about a year ago and I realized, you know what, I'm not paying tithing. That was the first thing to go. I was like, I don't want to pay tithing to this institution if I don't feel comfortable with everything they do. And, and I realized, you know what, I'm not temple worthy. You know, I'm not living up to this, this standard. And, um, and so I, I, I decided to basically, I tore up my temple recommend. It's a little piece of paper in my wallet and I tore it up and, I wasn't trying to make any like edgy statement there. I just thought like for right now, this is not, I'm going to be a, a Mormon who's a Mormon, but not a temple Mormon. Like it was this distinction in my head. Mm. And so, and so um, I basically made a decision to not be known as a worthy, it's a, a true worthy, a, a believer, a tender of the church. And, um, and so, yeah, I, I don't know how I got on that tangent, but basically that's, that's where I found myself. I said, like, I, 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 I own the identity I can own much of the theology. I, I'm still fascinated by the history. This is my 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 on my father's end. We go back to Joseph Smith's time. This is wow. my this is my history. Both, you know, it's my blood, and um, my my ancestors settled Utah. So, me deciding to give myself a little leeway with the with the institution actually made me more proud to own the identity, and. Yes, and it felt really free to be like, okay, so now I get to def- def- define what a Mormon is for me, and um, and I have a lot of friends, and everyone struggles in their own way, but some people need a little break from the identity, and I, c- I can't blame them. You know, they'll, they'll say I'm not Mormon anymore, and I and I think like I don't have that option. This is too much, too ingrained in me. So, so yeah, so now I find myself as somebody who's trying to redefine this identity in a way that makes sense for me. I still cover the institution. I think about the institution a whole lot. I, I hope the best for the institution. There's some leaders at the top I think are really profoundly good and some I, I struggle with. And, and I hope that in the future the church can be more of a message and a beacon of acceptance and love than right now it feels a little bit like it's kind of disciplinarian. And, um, hmm. and yeah, that's kind of where I, I stand. Stephen, this is something I feel like you and I have talked about. Lee, you, you mentioned something very briefly that stood out. Almost now that you're in the place that you're in, you have a almost a different level of appreciation for where you've come from. Yeah. And when you're talking about sort of redefining where you, uh, this is something that's been huge for me. Like I feel like in the past, or so sort of when I was really in it, it's almost like I. This is just speaking for myself. I didn't want people, meaning these new, you know, new individuals that I had encountered, let's say that I wanted to invite to my church or that I wanted that I wanted to genuinely share either the gospel with or just my and or my life. I didn't want them to really know what was behind the curtain. Mm. Like I didn't want people, one, half the time I didn't want to invite them to church for well, for different reasons. But the the other reason was but the other piece was like, I, I don't want you to, to Google this. Totally. I don't want oh, you yeah. to oh, ask yeah. around, right? Yeah. Like I, I'm hoping that... It's just easier <laughs> if we don't go there. It's just easier if we don't go there. And also, like, I'm just... There is a little bit of, like, we... Like, when you're in the... Again, speaking for myself, when you're in the bubble, but you don't think you are, you don't really want to, like, discuss it. But for some reason, when... Now that I'm years back, I'm like, I, I talk about my heritage and my tribe, I mean, with confidence and with gratitude and I just have a whole different perspective. Yeah. yeah. And it's I, 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 I found think, it to be helpful. Totally. I mean, yeah, when I, I look back with me. growing up that way, I think one of the one of the best things that it gave me was I, I never really had the expectation that I was gonna fit in. 
like it was it was normal it was normal to oh you know, yeah like to have a just a, a different identity and and even just that little bit of distance um i i think helped me sort of just question the whatever became normal in society so you know whether it be like just the rat race or the you know i mean all, all the different you know negative things or kind of keep out the jones or whatever it was like i i didn't really have any expectation that like oh my life is supposed to be like everybody else's because because yeah like we're different and, and, yeah, and following different. jesus means your life is different and and we would use the phrase first peter i think uh peculiar people <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> which is uh-huh. that you're, you're you're basically set apart you're this you're this um you are live operate on a different level and there's pride in that right yeah what what are you for you what what have been the, the the implications for like community life because of course one of the things when you are peculiar people it only works when you remain mm. a people and you're peculiar yeah. altogether in the same way yeah one thing i'm grateful for is i know with other churches um I didn't, I, I didn't feel like very insular growing up. I felt most comfortable around Mormons, but I felt like actually it was a, it was a sign of, of good Mormon living to be in the world, not of the world, we would say. Um, yeah. but like that, um, I don't know if I'm answering your question, but like I, um, it's not a mark against you at all to have a lot of friends outside the church or to, um, basically so- socialize with lots of people, non-Mormons. The big distinction is don't marry a non-Mormon. Mm-hmm. If you can help it, right? Like, like you're supposed to raise a family in this church, and so the sorrow that happens in Mormon families is when somebody marries outside the church. That's seen as kind of like a, um, a loss. Um, is that is that what you're referencing? Kind of like who you socialize with and who accompany you. Well, keep? and you, even more like, like how how has your family kind of responded? I mean, as you're have you as you kind oh, of taken with, with, with my transition back, or yeah, and 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 I see, and, I see. and those relationships that you had sort of earlier on, but if you know, what, what is that dynamic like now? Cause that's that gets, yeah. with, with people that you were once really like-minded with, yeah. you know, you having that sense of community, how has that shifted? Well, maybe you guys are experiencing this and you might ask me about feedback. One of the nice things about doing a podcast where you are open about your own personal beliefs and people can just listen to it yeah. <laughs> and then talk to you if they want to. <laughs> yeah. And so like, I have a lot of people actually for my mission, missionaries I served around or served with who have been messaging on me on Facebook and saying, I really appreciate the work you're doing. Um, oh. And that's a good filter system, filter system, right? Where it's like they are listening and then deciding whether they want to talk to me anymore. Um, with my family, it's the same. I have a very supportive family. I have really awesome, supportive parents. Um, it's not that I haven't disappointed them, but but we are on really good terms, and I'm very open with them. And um, and the big thing is, to, as, as you mentioned it, but I'm, I'm grateful that I I haven't had very many traumatic experiences at all. I've had a really had a really fortunate upbringing in the church, and so I don't have a lot of anger. Like I'm just not angry. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had my, I've had my share of pain, but, um, that's a big part is like, I think that people, and I understand why, um, anger shuts people down. Yeah. And, um, I don't necessarily want, I still don't want to have a conversation with somebody who just wants to talk shit on the Mormon church because that's not what I want to spend my time doing. It makes me uncomfortable. I feel like it doesn't build very much. Mm-hmm. Right. So with people in my life, I kind of prove to them, I'm not here just to tear down. And I say that preaches for doubters who don't want to burn it all down. And that's how I feel. Mm, I like that. And so, yeah, that's um, good. And I feel like, I feel like I've created a safe space with my, my siblings. We'll, we'll like argue, of course, but, um, but they'll listen to an episode, for instance, and I'll share a little bit about my life. And 
I think they learned that I drink through the podcast, (laughs) for instance. (laughs) Um, Surprise. But, um, and I've been really, really uh, pleased and grateful with their response. And it's also funny how many people across the whole spectrum of church activity, that's the word I would use, people, you know, people who are all in seemingly and people who don't attend at all. A lot of people message me. And I still get a lot of Mormon feedback. I get feedback from people from all different faiths too, which is awesome because this is meant to be a show about all religions. Um, and people will say, I think I'm in the exact same place as you. And I think like, well, if one, you're not because nobody's in the same exact place. But two, it's so cool that people that I know yeah. are in different places will say that to me. Because I think what, what they're saying is that they're not saying we have the same lifestyle or that we even have the same beliefs. I think it's that we have the same attitude, the same energy, the same emotion, the same tone. And that tone to me is, I'm skeptical, but I'm hopeful. And I um, am doubtful, but I want to be, remain inviting. And, and I always want, I always celebrate faith. When somebody has faith, I think it's beautiful. I think it's awesome. I don't ever want to tear down somebody's faith. I am somebody that struggles with faith. I wake up any given day, I don't believe in God. But when people do, I find a lot of solace in them. And I'm drawn to them. I don't know what that means about me. But, you know, I'm, I'm a doubter who, who's drawn to believers. So um, I think through that, I think I communicate to people that I'm not here to tear down what you have. I just, I just want to celebrate what you're bringing to the table. Yeah. So what are, like for you right now, what are those areas that are kind of on the, on the, on the very edge, sort of the frontier of wherever you're headed? What are, are, there, are there certain questions or themes or... Um, I don't know, just interesting tensions that, 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 that are there. Well, I guess what I'm interested in proving right now to myself is something that I've always said and I never really tried to prove before, which is that God is in all people, like you mentioned earlier. Um, <clears throat> that truth can be found everywhere. Um, Mormon theology, ironically, is some of the most open and inviting and forgiving theology you'll ever find. Basically, Mormons believe that every person will be given the perfect opportunity to receive as much of heaven as they want. Um, Mormons don't talk about hell. There's no concept of hell. <clears throat> There's degrees really? of glory. Wow. So like when people would like condemn me to hell, I'm a missionary as a missionary. Right. I'd be like, well, right. good news is if we're right, you're actually still going to heaven. So, wow. um, <laughs> so That's a good I, I actually grew up in a theology that was, that, that saw the world and, and also believed, and this was taught by Mormon prophets that, that God has given proof, truth to every willing child, every child of God that wants truth can get truth. So, the thing I'm interested in exploring right now is I, I do think the big question is whether or not there's a God. Like, I'm still hung up on that one. I probably will be the rest of my life. And the way I'm trying to experiment with that is by letting people tell me their spiritual stories and just keeping an open heart and, like, wanting to resonate with them. Mormons would use the phrase feeling, feeling the spirit. I'm open to feeling the spirit. I'm open to feeling something yeah. spiritual and divine. And so... I really want there to be a God. Like, I think it'd be great. I really want there to be um, an afterlife. I really want there to be um, reason in this crazy world. And all I know is that when people tell me their journeys, I feel less crazy. So that's like what I'm sticking to right now. Yeah. You, you mentioned, you mentioned the, the, this question of whether or not there's a God. What, what for you has kept you from just closing the door on that question altogether and saying like, yeah, that's just, no, there's not a God. Stories are great. I like people. I can connect with people. That's fine. 
Uh, but that's just neurochemistry. Well, honestly, for the same reason I'm skeptical of believers, I'm skeptical of, skeptical of atheists, you know, where it's like, you just, I just, I'm sorry, I just don't think you can know. I just don't think you can know. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm really, really skeptical of people who say they know. Like that word no scares me. I don't like it. Um, and so I think the thing that's cool about mortality and humanity and being on this earth is that there's a thing like an expanding universe that we literally cannot wrap our human brains around right? I went and drove up a few years ago to eastern Idaho and witnessed a full solar eclipse. Um, how the hell does that happen? Like, it was, just, you know, I've had, I, there's moments like that, I, and I, people talk about wow. this, but like, there's, there's otherworldly experiences you can have on this world, and you can either say, like, hmm, that's interesting, or you can leave some hope and some curiosity and say, wow, maybe there's something, some divine inner working system at play. Maybe things really matter. And maybe it matters a whole lot that I try to see goodness in other people. So I'm not saying that atheists can't be good people. Some of the best people I know are atheists. But I, um, I personally like holding out hope. Um, I, just, I just think it's, you know, I think it's kind to your future self to not limit yourself to a certain way of being. You know, I made a lot of promises for my old self that I'm not making good mm-hmm. on. And I'm not trying to do that to my future self anymore. And... Um, mm at least when it comes to belief in, you know, in spiritual evolution. So, so yeah, I think that I, I try to be open to wonder. I, I, I don't know. I, I guess now I feel like I'm just like saying cliches, but like, um, but there's something to that, right? There's something to just being, letting yourself be influenced by life and the world and the earth. And I live in a beautiful place where I just, I'm in awe constantly and, um, and I, I use this example sometimes, I haven't said it in a long time, but like, there's a difference in my mind between, you know, if I, if I said my favorite candy bar is Snickers, I can go to a vending machine and get myself a Snickers. And that's different than if I come home and my mom has bought me a Snickers because she knows I like it and she wanted to surprise me with a treat. That, they're the same ingredients, but one's going to taste very different. And so I think, like, I'd like to live in a world where I see things as a gift. I want to live in a world where I see the Snickers on my bed from my mom and not from the vending machine. And if it is just a vending machine, so be it. But wouldn't it be cool if there was somebody looking out for you? And um, so that's where I hang my hat, I think. That's great. Well, Lee, this has been fantastic. You've been generous with your time. Is there anything we, we didn't ask Anything else you'd, you'd want to highlight here? Um, no, I, I mean, yeah. Uh, we didn't talk about the podcast very much, but <laughs> that's okay. I, I, this is, yeah, this well, is, this no, is talk- let, let's do that. Well, no, no, I, 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 this is good timing for me too because I, I have to run in a minute. But, um, but that, that is the podcast. I mean, I, I, I guess I, I just tried to give you guys a sense of where I'm coming from because that's all I'm trying to do with my show is just give somebody some space to tell me where they're coming from. And... Um, and like we had, we had a lot of crossover. We had some differences. Yeah. I think we have exactly. more crossover than differences. I find that with everyone I talk to. I find that with people who believe in Sikhism. I find that with people who believe in, uh, who are Mennonite. I find that with people who are Hindu. Um, so not to be too kumbaya about it, but like we believers and we religious folk and we faithful and we, us doubters, we actually have a lot of the same DNA. And it's really exciting when we, we see that connection. So... But also, get, thank you guys for like letting me have us have you know an hour to like spill mm. my guts because it's it's like it's therapeutic, isn't it? Oh, it's fun, man. It is for us too. 
Yeah, and but I think it's important that you know what again makes the dynamic so interesting in the podcast is yes, your guests are great. Like you talked to Rain Wilson, I listened to that one yeah. this morning. I was like, that's awesome. But yeah. I'm also like, but you are a character in this show, right? Like you're a, you're an actor in this story. So I feel like you know for folks to have this side and to kind of understand more of where you're coming from, and frankly, more background than you've even you know shared in some ways publicly. I think that'll be cool. I think it'll be a, a nice add on to. And, and make, make them, it will make them interested in, in checking it out. I appreciate that. I've definitely shared the most with you guys that I've shared, period. So you can count yourself lucky. Or Nice. Um, I just, yeah, nobody's ever given me this much time to just to just air it out. So maybe I, maybe I needed this. So I appreciate it. I know. We didn't even go that. We could talk to you about all your childhood traumas, about all your doubts <laughs> and fears, your right. deepest, darkest. Yeah, so we, we're going to... Yeah. We didn't talk about the animal it. sacrifices. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we didn't grill you on your theology. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs>